good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for December 18th, 2016. Boyo Kubosa here. So very, very glad you joined us. I know it's getting colder with winter coming and different parts of the country, of course, uh, and uh, so-called polar vortex coming down from Canada and so forth. So we have to think about uh, the Dharma vortex for our spiritual growth and life. Well, you know, I know many of you know that I'm a big sports fan. I probably mentioned this before. And I'm thinking about sports. Uh, You know, of course, the Dharma is everywhere, can be applied anywhere. Uh, And I often... Uh, toyed with the idea of of uh, writing a series of books with the title Dharma of dot 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 or maybe uh, a series of pamphlets the Dharma of cooking the Dharma of driving the Dharma of sports okay um if you think about the Dharma of sports, I'm, I'm probably never going to do this, so if anybody wants to use that title, you're welcome to it. Um, now, you could look at the, the Dharma of sports in many different kind of ways. Uh, this morning, I just wanted to broach the, not within the details of within sports as an activity, but as as the topic itself, um, sort of pros and cons maybe, and looking at the uh, it, if you're a sports fan, you say, hey, you know, we don't look at the negative effects or potential negative effects. For some people, they don't like sports and they look at society and so forth, and they might say. Sports is the down rune of our society. Too much obsession with sports. We overpay these athletes, these professional athletes. It shows our values are warped and, um, you know, it, it, it uh, warps, it conditions the our youth in the wrong way. You know, sports and sex and all these, there's certain things that are... Um, the down rune of our society. Uh, well, what do you think about that? Are, are we have, do we societal perspectives? Do we put too much emphasis on sports? Of course, some people say, "Oh, sports is superficial." Um, well, this is, I'm not going to, you know, so-called give, give a answer to that topic. But I think it's worth uh, exploring. And uh, it has been said that uh, there's gender differences. A lot of guys bond through sports. And um, an observation has been made that 
males bond through activities, whereas females bond through sharing of feelings. Now, of course, this is a generalization, okay? um, but on the surface of it, it may, it may have some uh, validity with regard to gender differences in how you relate to your you know, same-sex friends, okay? where men, not because of some biological thing, but maybe... Maybe a little bit of that too, but a conditioning and learning, and how have difficulty sharing their feelings and so forth. Okay? Although, of course, that's always changing, okay? and we need male liberation as well as female liberation. We need human liberation. Okay? Uh, but if you I look into my life and I see um, the importance of sports and uh, and how it impacted my relationships with my friends and so forth. And uh, but one thing I just want to leave that topic is um, sometimes if you get if something that says uh, sports over preoccupation with sports. Uh, warps your values or something like this. Uh, maybe it's because you you're not one with your sport. It you you could become a victim. Okay, self victimization of being overly involved in whatever, okay? and maybe sports could. Uh, has such an effect on a person that he allows it to uh, it's a bad kind of attachment over attachment uh, so there is that that as- potential aspect but it's also that if you love sports so much uh, you become one with that sport that's called going all the way and in some there is a process, psychological or maybe also spiritual growth process, about the benefit of going all the way. Going all the way means, uh, sort of, well, uh, one example might be, hey, go go east, okay? Don't go west, go east. Well, you've got to find a direction in your life. Okay? Go south. You don't have to go north. But the way that reality is, and you could picture yourself on a sphere, and that if you go far enough, you end up right back where you started. You you go south, and then you end up north. (laughs) Because you go all the way. If you don't go all the way, then, yeah, if you go the wrong way, you might be in the be in the opposite place and so this is a well ignorance equals wisdom well how can that be well it could be if you go all the way not partially ignorant or partially wise but that's 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 not real spiritual fulfillment there whatever it doesn't matter the path you take 
as long as you go all the way. You see? That's the way reality is. Um, well, so I was thinking about these, this aspect of uh, sports, uh, even though the topic might relate to any any particular activity. Huh? But when I think of certain, um, uh, looking at my own way I live my life, this can be a, a doorway or a gateway into examining many aspects. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, and I want to go on to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is Andy Goyo. He lives in New Jersey. He was part of our Lay Minister Ford group. And uh, Goyo, his Dharma name, Yo, of course, is the common to all bright on uh, lay ministers. We have our so-called Yo lineage of um, the sun, the bright dawn, and then the first uh, half of Dharma name is more personalized. Go, the written Chinese character, means um, strong, I guess. Uh, I could have a lot of nuances there, but a strong son. Uh, he's a very strong guy. But then you, <laughs> you, yes, you. Well, what is strong? What is strong? Huh? Could strong be like sports? A lot of you know pros and cons or trade-offs or whatever. Okay, and it doesn't really matter what someone else thinks about it, or as a, just as a topic of discussion, but. A Dharma name is for is very personal, so uh, a stimulus, a motivating factor for continued self spiritual growth. So, um, and obviously, if you say hey, strong son, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, without further ado, I'll introduce Andy Goyo. Well, thank you, Kaya-san. Uh, 45 years ago, we would have been playing either touch football or basketball on a Sunday. So uh, that's my link to sports as well. <laughs> so uh, the name of my glimpse today uh, is Thank God for the Nazis. Now, who in their right mind would say such a thing? Well, turns out I would. My mom left Vienna in February of 1940 when she was 18 for America. Her father and mother stayed because her father thought that his World War I service would shield him from the madness. It didn't. After my mom came here, they were sent to Auschwitz. My father was born in then Czechoslovakia. He too came to America around 1939 but after his parents and two siblings had come first. In an odd twist of history, his father was born in Chicago, but went back to Bohemia when he was about six, although he kept his dual citizenship, thus allowing his family to get out. My mother first went to stay with an uncle in Philadelphia, near where I live now, but moved to New York, where, where she met my father. 
they wed a couple of years later, and my sister was born in 1945, and I was born in 1949. My mother is now 94. My father passed away about 35 years ago. A great deal of my mom's self-image is that of a Holocaust survivor. It is often one of the first things she'll mention when meeting new people, such as caregivers at hospitals. If anyone suggests that she might be somewhat more content with her life, she immediately says no, that no one understands what the Nazis did to her. Although she was 18 when she left, she now insists she was nine. Although she can tell you the date she was born and the date she left, she can't fill in what happened between nine and 18. Her parents stayed in Vienna for a few more years before being sent to Theresienstadt for two years before going to Auschwitz in 1944, where they were put to death. So she received many letters from her parents while she was in America to help them get out, but she had neither connections nor influence. So her guilt over not saving her parents is intense, but masked by her hatred for the Nazis. While she mostly claims not to believe in God, she often says, thank God, when people have returned from trips or recovered from illness. It's a phrase she uses frequently, and that's why I use that phrase at the start of this glimpse. Why thank God for the Nazis? Because without them, my mother and father would not have met in New York. No meeting, no Doris, my sister, nor I. None of our children, Raina, Adam, Stephanie, Alexis, Hillel. Now these kids have Leo, Kylie, Reese, Lila, Jack, Nico, Quinn, Amber. So I and everyone in this list owe my life to the Nazis. What my mother has struggled with is not new. How can we balance pain, suffering, and sheer horror with what happens next in life? I'm sure most of you have read the story about the mustard seed and the Buddha. A woman grieves intensely about the death of her young son, and the Buddha promises to help if she can bring him a mustard seed from a family who has experienced no death. She tries for a long time and eventually realizes his message. The other story comes, that comes to mind is one of the two monks crossing a muddy river. The elder helps a beautiful woman by carrying her. The younger is bewildered about how his teacher could have touched the woman. And after a long time of constant self-discussion, finally angry asked his mentor for an explanation. And his reply, uh, essentially, you fool, I put it down by the river while you are still carrying her around. My mother has not put down events from over 70 years ago. That burden overshadows the many and ongoing sources of pure joy all around her. Can someone 94 change that pattern? I don't know. I've printed out the two stories in large, bold font. Will these help her focus on all that she can be content with at the moment? We will see. Everyone has suffered, but it's how we deal with that that is more important than the hard event itself. While in postdoc internship 
internship in Kansas City around 1976. My then wife was pregnant. We developed a nightly ritual during which I would listen to the baby's heartbeat with a stethoscope. Just a few days before the due date, one night, I could not find the beat. We went to the doctor in the morning. He couldn't either. Later that day, she had a stillbirth. No one could figure out what went wrong. In part, what was fortunate for us was that we moved within a week or two to New Jersey for my new job. So we had no signals to trigger many thoughts, no set-up room for the baby, no baby furniture, etc. What I also thought, and I have no idea how it came to me, that every moment of joy from that moment on would have been different or would it not have occurred had that baby lived. Yes, other joys would have occurred, but not the same. We had Raina about a year and a half later. She would not have been born had the first child lived, in whatever condition. Perhaps my attractive to Buddhism was primed by reading a viewpoint that felt right, in accordance with some other ways I had been thinking and acting. The Buddha's unique skill, of course, was to help everyone else, not just himself. Everyone has suffered. Everyone has had joy. Everyone will encounter more dreadful situations, but also more joy. Which one will we tie ourselves to? We are all terrified now that Trump will be president. Which attachment will lead me to help others? The memory of what went wrong in my life or the memory of joy, gratitude, and contentment? I do not see how resentment can foster positive change. Here's to gratitude and contentment. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Well, well. Yeah, I have different associations as I listen to the Dharma Glimpse. Uh, uh, just a quick point of background. When I talked about sports and then when Andy Goyal mentioned <laughs> 45 years ago, we were playing sports uh, in North Carolina, uh, where I was on the faculty as psychology department, and he was a graduate student. And uh, I was a young faculty member, so every weekend we would uh, go with the graduate students and other younger faculty members, and we would, you know, according to the season. We would play touch football or we would play basketball and uh, very enjoyable memories as I look back uh, of those times. Uh, and <laughs> talk about the Dharma being working in mysterious ways. Uh, after he got his PhD in psychology and, and I had moved on and left North Carolina, um, Forty years go by without, you know, on our separate paths, and then the Dharma brings us together again. <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing. Uh, I know that in a prior newsletter article we uh, ran, I think, an article that was entitled "Leave It by the River," and as was. Uh, Andy Goyo's uh, personal mantra um, and it comes from that story that he mentioned 
um, leave it by the river. Of course, in the story, it means the young lady. After you carried her across, leave it by the river, meaning, you know, not just physically the, the young lady, but any attachment about, oh, did I do something wrong or, you know, uh, did I violate a precept, okay, and so forth. But it could that it could stand for whatever, anger, resentment, um, supposing you have an anger issue. How do you cope with that? If you have a personal mantra, you say, hey, you know, if I hang on to that anger beyond the immediate situation where it arose, now you could say things like, hey, oh, I'm not supposed to be angry if I'm a Buddhist. I don't think that's a correct kind of thought to have myself. Anger is part of being a human being. Okay. But what that personal mantra says is, doesn't say, you know, it says, leave it by the river. It happens. You have it. That anger and resentment. It occurs. But you don't hang on to it. Okay. That's a key thing. Now, how do you view misfortune in life? I mean, I think this is such a basic aspect of life. And it's the major message of the Buddha. How do you how do you go out into the world and and the misfortune is not only external misfortune. It's the inner too. When you can't let go of things well there must be a reason for it. Let's not jump too quickly. According to the psychological viewpoint, too, uh, there's a reason for why we act like we do, we feel like we do. Something has to be rewarding that, if you want to put it that way. It serves a purpose. There's a reason for it. And if you don't understand that process, it's not realistic to say, leave it by the river. Hey, drop it. Don't be who you are if you, unless you have something else that you evolved into. Okay? You have to be something, you know. So anyway, uh, leave it by the river and... The, the aspect of being so full of something, whether we call this a Buddha nature inside, uh, how, do, you know, Buddha nature inside is not selective. It, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll have a lot of, with a nature and accompanying compassion and everything for certain people and not for others. Uh, true spirituality doesn't work that way. So, 
has tremendous teaching story of Thich Nhat Hanh when he was talking about uh, boat people, Southeast Asian, and then the pirates that preyed on these people. And there's a pirate that came onto the boat and raped a 12-year-old girl and threw her off the boat. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, uh, you know, we feel a lot of compassion for that victim. But our compassion has to be great compassion. It has to include that pirate, too. And our immediate reaction might be, what? Having compassion for that? Pirate? He says, well, you know, yes. The expression of it is maybe different than with a girl. But it's the compassion that this guy is so far gone. He doesn't even know the basic right from wrong in the human world. How sad is that? So this is a this is a it's a big challenge to leave it by the river. Huh? It's a big challenge to have takkan. I used this word before, it's a Japanese word. Takkan means broad perspective. And that's the basis of right understanding, uh, the first of the Eightfold Path. Uh, it's a part of what we might call, you know, wisdom. And you can experience in all ways having a broad perspective and not being pulled by the immediate joys or sorrows or anger events in the immediate situation. It's always seen played out against a backdrop of something much broader, you know, philosophical view of life. Okay. Uh, how do you get that? Takkan. They said Takkan is the gateway to Satori. And how to view uh Without, you know, it's it's actually for your own benefit. It's not because you do this because it's it's a should or it's a virtue or something like that. It's all together. Uh, if you are filled with negativity, it's going to hurt you. Uh, if not now, it's going to hurt you. If you hang on to it sooner or later, you know, uh, we think you ought to think about that, and don't blame others for what's inside of you. That's you know. Well, we broach a lot of topics there, open a lot of doors there, but we don't we don't have time to go into them. But we. Oh, yeah, there's this door, there's this door. Okay. And uh, that's fascinating for our, for our, that we got to keep going. And that's why that's all for today's broadcast. And indeed, until next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. <laughs>